Um, I'm Gracie, and it's really good to get to see all of you guys this morning. As some of you guys may know, this is Intern Sunday. Yeah. So this is actually our, the four interns. This is our last Sunday here. Yeah, so sad. Um, we head back tonight and tomorrow, but um, we have been so blessed. I think I can speak for all four of us in saying that this has been an amazing experience, and we've been extremely blessed, and we've learned so much, and just getting to be around you guys and be loved by you guys. You guys have been incredible. Like, wow, you guys have been amazing. And I think it's safe to say all of us are going to leave with memories that we are never going to forget. And we thought that this morning we, we have to share some of them. We have to. We can't. We cannot go this summer without sharing some of the many. We definitely can't get them all in. But some of the many, just to reminisce on how thankful we are and how much we've enjoyed our summer. And when Kate and I were thinking back on the memories, I was like, oh, I have to share one of the first memories I have of being here this summer. So, of course, we're going back to, you know it, the yard sale. (laughs) Oh, yeah, the yard sale. So when we were setting up for the yard sale, it didn't take long for somebody to inform us of Mark's favorite thing to say in the summer. And that is, as some of you may know, stick it to the interns. Yep, you know it. You know Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. Some of you may have used it. Mm. Mm -hmm. But so we're in the kitchen, I think, and I hear somebody go, Gracie. And I'm like, yeah. And Betty walks in with a poop bag and her dog on a leash. And she goes, stick it to the interns, Gracie. Go walk Dozier. And I'm like, okay. And I, I honestly, so I, I go outside and I'm like walking the dog in the grass. And Brennan comes out and is like, what are you doing? And I said, Betty told me to walk the dog. And from that moment, I was like, I'm going to love this. This church is fun. Like, this is going to be a good summer. And, I mean, there's plenty more. Like, I remember... One Sunday after church, it was me and Judy and Peggy and some of the interns, and we were just talking, and we got on the topic of skipping, and you know, sometimes when you get older, you forget how to skip, like that was a trend on the internet, and Judy's like, well, I don't don't think I could do it, and we're like, Peggy, do you think you could do it? And Peggy, who is gracious as can be, is like, of course, and she starts skipping through the church. The whole church. Just yeah, going. the whole church. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Great skipper. Great skipper. <laughs> and that was, it's just, it was moments like that where I'm like, wow. It just, I love you guys. I love these people. And then, of course, I can't forget about the students and getting to know all the students. I went to move with them a few weeks ago. And, man, I've got stories. I won't ever forget. I mentioned it last week, but some of the girls put a rotten salad by my face at like 12.30 in the morning, right before bed. And I was like, oh my goodness. But I, it's just been such a joy. Okay, you've got some stories? Oh, of course. So as you know, as the children's ministry intern, my first Sunday here, I was extremely nervous. I was like, I don't know these kids. These kids don't know me. I don't know how I'm gonna interact with them or if they're gonna like me. But I was introducing myself to them in the back the first Sunday. And they, one kid, you might know him, his name is JL, and he was up here last Sunday. He was the little one that was helping us answer the questions in the sermon last week. And he just walked right up to me, and he said, look me up and down, and he said, are you a farmer? And I was like, 
no? And he goes, oh, okay. And he just stands there with his hand on his hip. And he said, well, I like your boots. I like you. And that's it. And just walked away. <laughs> Turned and walked away. And I was like, well, this is the place where I'm meant to be. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, it was a good one. He's a good one. But... We are extremely grateful for each and every single one of you guys in this place today. You have impacted our lives greatly, and we will never forget you guys. And we just thank you so much for being who you are. And hospitality has been amazing here. We love each and every single one of you. Yes. I. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I don't think we can say thank you enough. And before we finish and head off the stage, I thought, we thought it was only fitting that we end with just a thankful prayer of gratitude. And so if you guys would bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this incredible church that you've blessed the four of us with this summer and just giving us the opportunity to be in community with them. And we thank you so much for their love of Jesus and their hospitality and just them showing us the love of Jesus daily and we, we thank you for the opportunities to experience the church and see what the family of God looks like, getting a glimpse all over the world here in Delaware and getting to create relationships that we won't ever forget. And I pray as we leave that the church here doesn't forget to love like Jesus, like they have been. And I pray that they continue to lean in you and love one another as they have shown us all summer. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I am so grateful for this church. Um, you all have been, have, been, have been so good to us this summer. And um, this summer, God has just made it so, so abundantly clear to me that I have to do ministry. I have to be here day in, day out. I'm doing his work. And... I actually wrote a song about that, which was really cool. Um, it's about well, it's about just how much we love to just serve him and praise his name. It's called Serve You. So I just want to sing it over us um, right now. And you can be seated, stand, or, or just on your knees as I sing this over us.
I'll turn to you for all of my days. Oh, you're worthy. And you are find my strength. You're my rock. You're my refuge, oh Lord. I want to serve you, Lord. So give me your heart. I'll serve you, Lord, for all eternity. And I found you, and I want you, so I'll serve you. I'll serve you all my life. I'll turn to you for all of my days, oh Lord, I'll worship you. I'll turn to you for all of my days. All your I praise your name. You're worthy of it all. I give thanks to you. I praise your name. You're worthy of it all. I give thanks to you. I praise your name. Let's watch this video.
was a chilly winter evening in London, England, as an older gentleman, Matthew Henry, was making his way home after a long day of work. And he'd, he'd walk home every day. He enjoyed the walk. It wasn't bad for him. Actually kind of nice. Gave him a few minutes to decompress, just some time alone after a day on the job. Usually only took five, ten minutes. And you know, on this particular evening, as Matthew's making his way down the street, I can imagine some snowflakes flurrying from the gray clouds overhead as the last bit of sunlight vanishes from the sky into the night. And suddenly you'd probably realize that the only thing left to illuminate these cold stone streets of London were just a few uh, stray street lamps. So Matthew, inching closer to his home step by step with his head down, breathing in and out, probably able to see his breath in the cold air, he, he suddenly feels a shoulder on his hand, a hand on his shoulder. <laughs> with a hand on his shoulder, Matthew turns around, and he's surprised to see a taller guy dressed in dark colors waving a knife in front of his face. Is there money in the bag? The man muttered in a quiet, deep voice. Matthew didn't have much time to think. He didn't have much time to react. So without much hesitation, he tore his satchel off of his shoulder and handed it to the criminal, watching him disappear into the same lonely London shadows from which he came. Matthew, now alone once again, left with only his leather jacket tight around his arms and his chest, put his head down and walked a little quicker towards his house this time. Finally arrived, opening the door and locking it behind him, he made his way upstairs. The night came to a quick end for Matthew as he was laying in bed, peering up at his ceiling, trying to process everything that had just happened to him. His satchel, gone. His money, gone. His notes, his books, gone. Matthew rolled over. blew out the candle on his bedside desk. You know, this is a true story. And I think that in this moment, you know, it's safe to say that there's plenty of emotion pulsing through Matthew's body, right? Probably some anger. I just had my whole bag and everything in it stolen from me. I'm at a loss here, right? I would still be a little anxious, just trying to slow my heartbeat down. Matthew may be left with some trauma. A stranger in the street waving a knife in my face. That sticks with someone. And with all of that, I think it's safe to say that there wouldn't be an ounce of gratitude left in Matthew's body. I've got a second story for us this morning. 
and this is a Jesus story, also true. This one comes from Matthew. It's chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men stood at a distance, met him, standing at a distance, met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And, as, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner, this Samaritan? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now one of them turned back, glorifying God. You know, I won't beat around the bush this morning. I think that the message that Jesus gives us in this passage is pretty clear. Be the one. Be the one. It's it's simple, it's short, it's sweet, it's all right there, three words. Be the one. Don't be one of the nine, be the one. But I think it's deeper than this. I think with this, you know, this is nice with a ribbon on top, but I think with this, the challenging part is answering why. Why should I care? Why should I be the one? You know, as I've read this story throughout the past couple weeks, I've decided to break it down into three separate scenes, each unique to themselves. And I think as we conclude this morning, going through the three scenes and seeing them for what they're worth, I think we'll be able to answer that question. Why should I be the one? It all starts with scene one, right? The encounter. And we see the encounter in just the first three verses of this passage. I'll read it again. It's verses 11, 12, and 13. And while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. A group of leprous men congregating together, secluding themselves from everyone else, the rest of the community, not a rare sight in ancient times. You know, I think, to, I think to really read this story well, to understand the weight of this story, I think first we need to understand the weight of leprosy itself. And I could, I could stand here and try to explain leprosy to the best of my ability, and, you know, we would have somewhat of a picture in our minds. Um, but Alfred Eldersheim, who is a Jewish cultural scholar, uh, explains leprosy well, the symptoms of the devastating disease. So I'm going to read this, and I'd like you to just allow it to paint a picture in your mind. The disease which we today call leprosy generally begins with pain in certain areas of the body, 
numbness follows, and soon the skin in such spots loses its original color. It gets to be thick, glossy, and scaly. As the sickness progresses, the thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and the ears, begins to bunch with deep furrows between the swellings, so that the face of the afflicted individual begins to resemble that of a lion. Fingers drop off or are absorbed into the skin, and toes are affected similarly. His throat becomes hoarse, and you can now not only see, feel, and smell the leper, but you can hear his rasping voice. And if you stay with him for some time, you can even imagine a peculiar taste in your mouth, probably due to the odor. These are the people that encounter Jesus. The text says the ten men stood off at a distance, but it's not really like they had a choice, right? Once they were deemed unclean by the priests, the infected individual would have to shout, unclean, unclean, whenever a man or a woman of the community was nearing them. This is a warning. Stay away from me. Keep your distance. I've got leprosy. It was debilitating. It was devastating. And I think it's also noteworthy that this group of ten leprous men was likely a mix of Jewish people and Samaritans. Two people groups who didn't get along. They didn't like each other in ancient times. But I think that just speaks to the severity of this condition. Leprosy broke down barriers. It reminded people, that Jew, Samaritan, We're just men in need. And aren't we all? Verse 13 says, And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You can almost hear the desperation in their voices. Have mercy on us. Jesus, I don't don't know you well. I don't know if you will heal me. I don't know if you want to heal me. But this is my last shot. This is all I've got. If I don't try, this is how I'm going to die. There's nowhere else for me to go, Jesus. This is it. An encounter with Jesus is necessary. And, you know, this is the part of the narrative where I really I start to read and I start to see myself in the text. Because this is often when I find myself encountering Jesus, right? In times of my own desperation. Jesus, I need you. I can't do this without you. Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. I read this story and I see myself. And I think as we continue this morning, we may come to realize each of us we're more like these ten leprous men than we may have originally thought. And now we conclude scene one. On to scene two, the departure. Scene two is actually the shortest of the three scenes. Just one verse, verse 14. And it says, When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. 
And as they were going, they were cleansed. This is, suddenly this becomes such a weird story, right? Because if you're like me, you read this one verse, you read verse 14, and you think, Jesus, why didn't you just, why didn't you just cleanse them there? Right then and there, why didn't you heal them? Because we, we know you could have, right? And if I had a guess, I think these leprous men were probably asking a similar question. This is a concept we see threaded throughout the Gospels. Jesus, Jesus is looking for something here in verse 14. He's searching for a sign of faith. Matthew 9, 27 through 29 is another really good example of this. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up behind him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. We see something similar in Mark 9, verse 20 through 24, when Jesus drives the spirit out of a possessed boy. Starting at verse 20, they brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? His father responded, from childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water in attempts of destroying him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible through he who believes. You start to see the theme here. Healing requires faith. Jesus was looking for faith, and that's what the ten leprous men gave him. And you know, it's important that we understand the relationship between leprosy and the priests that we read about in this passage. You know, the priests, they were in charge of deeming an individual as unclean. We've got to remember, leprosy, we described leprosy. You can't hide the symptoms well. The furrows of the face, numbness of skin, discoloration, skin becomes scaly. You can't hide that. So eventually, as you become infected, you'll eventually find yourself standing with the priest, and they'll examine you and basically identify you as unclean. Depart from me, you have leprosy. Leprosy has no cure. That's part of the reason why it was so devastating in ancient times. There's no cure to leprosy. So for me, as a leprous man, if I were to approach a priest and they say, go, you're unclean, there would be no reason for me to ever return to that priest. There's no going back. There's no flipping the script. I'm unclean. End of sentence. But I think that's why this passage is so significant. Because now Jesus is saying, go and show yourselves to the priests, but this time show them that you are clean. You know, I can, I can remember being really young, probably second grade 
or so, and, and my brother and I, we would share a room. We shared a room for the majority of our childhood. And every night before bed, I remember my mom peeking her head around the doorframe, subtly knocking. And she'd say, boys, it's about time for bed. And she'd always say, start heading that way. Start heading that way. So my brother and I, we'd, we'd get up, and, and my mom, as she's walking down the hallway in the, the creaky wooden floor, she'd shout back, don't forget to brush your teeth. So my brother Easton and I, and I should note, because I, I caught some heat for this between services, Easton is three years younger than me, so he was like three or four at this time. So we're going into the bathroom in front of this giant mirror, and I get my toothbrush, Easton gets his, and we get our toothpaste, and, and Easton was not quite as thorough with his brushing as me, but he was quite younger, so quite a bit younger. So, you know, we'd finish up, and we'd clean our, our brushes, and we'd, uh, we'd wipe the counter down to the best of a second grader's ability. And we walked down that same creaky wooden hallway back to our mom and dad's room. We had to show our mom that we, we'd cleaned our teeth. This isn't an exact uh, comparison, obviously, to leprosy. But uh, we'd, we'd go back to her, mo- to her room, and she'd be laying on the bed. And my brother, Easton, and I, we'd smile. We'd give her a big grin ear to ear. And my mom would act so, so bright, you know, put it away. Your teeth are so white, you're blinding me. And my brother and I always got a kick out of that at a young age. It made us feel good. felt like we were doing a good job cleaning our teeth. You know, now that I'm 20, I realize that, that was more of just a tactic to get us to actually have some dental hygiene, you know, and, and get us excited and make us feeling good. But it worked, so kudos to them. You know, my mom wanted, she wanted proof. She wanted to see that we had brushed our teeth, even at a young age. She wanted to see that we were clean. In a similar way, the priests wanted to see that the lepers were clean, or in this case, unclean. And this obviously held a much higher stake. So now we enter the third scene, concluding the second, and we enter this final scene, the return, verses 15 through 19. Now one of them When he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten that were cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? Verse 19, and he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. So now finally, after three scenes of this narrative, we see the one. Be the one. The one that cries out to Jesus in a time of desperation. Departs from Jesus as an act of faith. But then, when it's all said and done, after the miracle had been finished that only Jesus could perform, he returns to Jesus, falling on his face, weeping, praising his Lord loudly. And I think this would have been such a beautiful scene, such a beautiful sight. I can imagine the leprous man realizing on his way to see the priest that his skin had been 
healed. He had been cleansed. He can feel again. I can imagine the tears filling his eyes as he smiles, but then realizes, I have to find Jesus. Searching every street, every marketplace, asking every neighbor, has Jesus left? Is he still in town? I've got to see him. I've got to get to Jesus. And then as he lays eyes on Jesus, once again, the tears begin to flow, throwing himself at his feet, weeping, falling on his face. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. And I think that's a really beautiful thing to think about. But Jesus' response is not quite what I'd expect. Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Only one? That's it. You know, this is a situation where I'd expect Jesus to celebrate the one. And I think the end of this passage actually makes me a little bit uncomfortable. It's It's not a pleasant ending to a Jesus narrative. He doesn't celebrate the one. He misses the nine. All nine were willing to participate in religious ritual, going and showing themselves to the priest. It was law. But once they were healed, going back to Jesus, returning to him, throwing myself at his feet, it's too much to ask. I'm good. I'm healed. And I'm, again, wondering how many of, our, of, of us can see ourselves in these same leprous shoes. You know, I, I think we participate in our own religious rituals. I go to church every Sunday. I wouldn't miss it. I drop my kids off at youth group usually on time. I usually tithe. I'm a regular here. Sometimes I even find myself at a men or women's Bible study on Saturday or Tuesday. I, you know, I do all the things, and it's great. We're great at playing church. But how many of us are willing to throw ourselves on our face at the feet of Jesus, weeping, thank you, Lord, Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? This Samaritan who isn't even supposed to like my people. Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Stand up and go. Your, your faith has made you well. So maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the answer we've been looking for this morning. Your faith has made you well. Why why should I be the one? Because my faith makes me well. And if that's where we land, if that's to the conclusion we come to, I'd say we're still missing it. You know, all morning, I've encouraged you, I've, I've, I've urged myself, be the one. But maybe... 
Maybe it's just easier to say, don't be one of the nine. I want to be the one because my glory, my gratitude glorifies God. And that's why we're here. You know, we opened this morning with a story about uh, the older English gentleman, Matthew Henry, who was robbed walking home uh, from work one day. And you know, he went to bed, and the next morning, this, this is a true story, the next morning he, he opens his eyes, sunlight coming through the window, and he reaches over to his desk, and he grabs an old journal, flipping through it to the next blank page, and in that journal, he, he writes four things. At the top of the page, let me be thankful. Firstly, let me be thankful because I've never been robbed before. Second, although he took my satchel, he didn't take my life. Thirdly, Although he took everything I had, it really wasn't that much. And finally, although I was robbed, let me be thankful because I was the one who was robbed, not the one who had to do the robbing. So now I'm curious, after going through three scenes the encounter, the departure, and then the return. If you could rank yourself on a a scale of gratitude, a scale from 1 to 10, where do you land? Everyone hopefully just has a number in their head, or at least you're thinking about it. I've got my number. And that that, I think that begs a follow-up question, maybe more applicable to our story today. If I were one of the ten leprous men, would I have been the one or would I have been one of the nine? And that's a tough question because if you're like me, you're not happy with the answer. Be the one. Your kids are finally loving school. They've got a good group of friends, a good teacher that they really love learning from. Be the one. Return to Jesus because of that. We, we finally sold our house. That's great. Be the one. Find yourself crying at the feet of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You finally found your way out of debt. You're financially secure. You're in a good place with your spouse, your family. Be the one. It's praiseworthy. This is good news. Return to Jesus. But I get it, though. Gratitude isn't always easy. Be the one. But what am I supposed to do when I I come home after a long day of work and I I see the divorce papers scattered across the dining table? What am I supposed to do when I can't make rent this month? 
I'm already working 50 hours a week. What am I supposed to do when my doctor calls me with a bad, life-changing diagnosis? And I don't really know what's next. Be the one. Easy to say. There's an iconic Hebrew Bible Old Testament passage. It's a story about three Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men were going to be thrown into a fiery furnace by King Nebuchadnezzar because they refused to bow down to his golden idols that he had made. King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man in the world at this point, the king of Babylon. And the Babylonian Empire, next to the Assyrian Empire, is one of the most terrorizing, one of the most powerful empires, not just in Scripture, but in the history of humanity itself. And I love this story, because this is a story that Jesus would have known. This is a story that the ten leprous men would have known as well. Daniel 3, 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The conclusion of this story, God does end up saving the three men, and he does that for one reason, because it brings glory to him, brings glory to God. He will deliver us, But even if he does not, be the one. Because our gratitude glorifies God.